Welcome to the Crossroads Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 6, and I'm going to introduce this particular topic with one simple verse, and it's verse 24 of Matthew chapter 6. It says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and, here's the word, money. You need me to pray again so that you can sneak out and go get to your car and get to early lunch? Or can somebody pray so I can sneak out so I can get to my car? And, and if you look at the, the Greek translation, you can actually also so translate it rather than money, you could use the word possessions. Yes, today I want to talk about the greatest subject that Jesus teaches on that causes the greatest separation, causes the greatest distance, and I want to do it in such a way where you leave here going like, okay, now that makes sense because I hear what God's saying in his word. I want to talk about money and possessions. And before I can do that, I need you to understand the parameters of what Jesus is doing in this scripture. This is going to be a really long introduction with a real quick to the point. At least that's the plan. But here's what you need to understand. This is in the middle of Jesus teaching the Sermon on the Mount. You say, why is that important? Well, you have to understand what Jesus was trying to do. Jesus has gathered these people. He actually hasn't gathered them. He has seen a crowd that is gathering. It starts in Matthew chapter 5 on the hillside. So he turns around and starts teaching the disciples. But it's one of those things. Have you ever done this? Have you ever talked to people that were close to you, but you were saying it loud enough so that everybody else could hear? And that's what Jesus was doing. And he was combating one major issue. Please hear me. This will help you understand the Sermon on the Mount more than ever before if you'll understand this concept. Jesus was trying to combat what people believed was the way religious and God followers lived compared to what Jesus followers should do. He was trying to combat what they were seeing in the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders by telling them, here are the things that if you love God should be in your life. If you look at Sermon on the Mount, it's a whole lot about the way you should act. It wasn't this theological deep of accepting Jesus or what Jesus means or that he's the son of God. It was all talking about practical things in your life that you have seen been demonstrated the wrong way by the religious leaders, and he's trying to give you the right way. He's trying to change the environment. In fact, I wrote down just a little bit of things. If you were to think about it, he starts out the Sermon on the Mount with this attitude. He's like, these attitudes that should be in you. In fact, he called them the be attitudes. In other words, you should be these attitudes. And he moves from there, and he starts talking about the aspect of us being salt and light. Then he talks about how we should handle anger. Then he talks about how we should handle lust. And then he talks about how we should handle divorce. And he's kind of doing these things in these, in these concepts of, hey, here are some attributes that may not be being presented to you in the correct way. There's some Pharisees and some scribes that have joined this crowd, 
and, he, and he's kind of including them in this discussion because he's kind of letting them know that, that hey, man, I'm just, I'm just telling you that what you think is right because of what you see and the reality of what God's called you to may not be in the same category. So he's trying to help them to break that perception is not reality. Can I put it in a simpler state? Truth is truth. You say, well, how do I know if it's truth? Because it's the truth. Truth is not based on what somebody demonstrates or displays. Truth is not based on what somebody says is truth. What defines truth is truth. In fact, when you study God's word, here's the way I tell you to study it. God's word is God's word. How do you study it? As God's word. Well, how did that make you feel? What do you think that means? Hey, it doesn't matter. It's the truth. So it's not how does it make you feel or what do you think it means? It's this is what it says. This is the truth. So how does that mean I got to change my life? How does that mean I have to change the way I think? How does that apply to my life? See, we don't take truth and modify it so it becomes our own truth. We take truth and modify our life so that we can be truthful. And that's what's going on. And so he's going through these concepts and he's talking about anger. He's talking about divorce. He's talking about oaths and not taking oaths. He's talking about retaliation and how you don't really retaliate, retaliate on other people. So he's talking about kind of the way that we, that we work with other people. And then he gets to this chapter six and I, I'm gonna flip through that. We're gonna come back to chapter six because that's where we are. And then he gets into chapter seven after chapter six and he's talking about judging and the way you judge other people. And we probably need to hit that one because that one's one that everybody misunderstands. And then he goes from that to this whole concept of, of even at the end. Can I, can I just read? You're not going to see this on screen, but can I just read for you the end of the Sermon on the Mount? Because after the judging, he talks about ask and it will be given to you. And then after that, he talks about the golden rule and how we treat the other people. And then he talks about the tree and the fruit that's hanging on the tree and how you'll know them by their fruit. But then he builds up to this whole concept. And this is what he's trying to get everybody to understand. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, the Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and then cast out many demons in your name and, and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, Jesus speaking, depart from me, I never knew you. See, he, he's trying to get them to understand that activity for the Lord does not equal intimacy with the Lord activity based on, hey, look at what I'm doing, this is the truth, does not mean that you have a relationship with the God of truth. He is trying to let them understand that the Pharisees and the scribes, though they were religious and most of them amazing, some of them are wolves in sheep's clothing trying to steal, kill, and devour you. And he's trying to get them to understand, here's what you need to see. And so he's talking to the people, but he's really kind of passive aggressively. And I'd be careful with that word because I don't know if that fits Jesus' characteristics, but that's the best way I can describe it. Talk to those religious, religious leaders that are there and making sure that they understand that what they're doing is wrong. In fact, he ends this whole Sermon on the Mountain saying, and he who heeds my words is like a wise man that builds his house on a rock. And so he's trying to give you a foundation to be built on a foundation that we don't model our lives based on what we see that people that say they're religious are, but based on what God is and his truth and what he says we should be. And so here in the middle of this is this chapter six where he deals with this verse that we get so misunderstood about money. And, and here's the three questions that I wrote down. So when it, 
when it comes to money or possessions, is money bad? Is having money and possessions wrong? How much is too much? And I think all those are, are three really good questions that when we get done with this, we're going to answer. But to understand what he was really talking about and to not get a misunderstanding, now that I gave you a, a concept of what's going on on the Sermon on the Mount, I want to read chapter 6, verse 1, because he changes everything in the Sermon on the Mount in this one particular verse. Listen to what he says. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. See, he is intentionally now talking about your righteousness. He's moved from the way you treat others, from the, from the lust and the divorce and being salt and light, and he's not quite gotten to the whole judging and, and knowing him and, and the other. He, he's kind of sandwiched in between there this aspect of righteousness. And then here's what's really cool to me. He gives you four earthly concepts in chapter 6 that are ways that you can practice righteousness. If you're taking notes, I would write this down. Righteousness is something you do. It's not something you are. It's something you've got to practice. And he's trying to get these people that have gathered to understand that what you are seeing as being practiced in front of you, that's not what I'm calling you to do. Now, I'm not going to go through all of them, but he starts with talking about giving to the needy. He talks about, you know, don't, don't be like these Pharisees and scribes that, that give to the needy and like, whoa, hey, yeah, let me help you out, sir, no problem. Hey, don't worry about this guy. I've got this one covered. I'm going to take care of this one because I love people, and I'm so sorry that he's blind and can't see, but I will help him to be able to see. He said, don't do that. Then he goes into not just giving to the needy, and if you want to put a parenthesis there, it's the way we love others. He said, don't love others publicly. Don't practice your righteousness like, hey, I love people. Wow, look at what I do. <laughs> you know, boy, this community's really good because I live here because I really try to. Don't do that. The second earthly thing he talks about when talking about practicing righteousness is the way you pray. And he actually gives us an example of how we should pray. And then the next earthly thing that he talks about that he's given us and the way we can practice righteousness is the aspect of fasting and how you should fast. And he kind of ties both prayer and fasting together. He basically says, you know, don't, don't put on this face of gloom. Don't get dressed up. Don't put this ash all over you. Now, don't mishear me. Jewish custom, it was very appropriate in certain times to do this. So it's appropriate in certain situations. It's just not appropriate when, here's the key, when your righteousness is being more public then it is private. And then he goes from the aspect of not just the prayer and the fasting, but then he also goes into this scripture that I want us to dwell on today. And it's the aspect of your treasures. And listen to what he says, a very, very familiar verse. And I'm gonna read two different things and then we're gonna put a cap on today. He said, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth 
where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So before he ever gets to the, that nobody can serve two masters, he will hate the one and love the other. You can't serve both God and money. Before you think you understand what that means, you need to understand what he's building up to. And what he's talking about is you better be careful where your treasure is because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In fact, here was an epiphany that I had this week in studying. In this scripture, he is actually linking your treasure equaling your heart. And so just for giggles with talking to my wife and doing some different things, I thought, what would it look like if I just flipped what if I flip this scripture and where there's treasure, I put heart, and where there's heart, I put treasure? Can I read that for you? This is the New International Mickey Clark version. It's not quite in print yet, but you're the first one to see it. Are you ready? Here you'll see it on screen. Do not lay up for yourselves your heart on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but rather lay up for yourself your heart in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your heart is, there you will find what you treasure. Okay, you ready for the, one of the aha moments for me this week? You know why we deal with broken hearts? It's because we're giving our hearts to things that rust and destroy. You know how you deal with hurt? It's because you treasure earthly things more than you treasure heavenly things. See, see, what he was trying to get the people to understand was there's a major link that you are gonna have in your life that is connected between the things that you treasure and where you're gonna be willingly putting your heart. And he's just trying to get them to understand that you don't practice your righteousness in front of people because then you're gonna gain your reward. But you practice your righteousness in private. Well, what do I do publicly? Publicly, you display your heart. In fact, I, I can tell you right now, like a lot of people will wonder, well, well is, is, God, is God after my treasures? Is God after my possessions? Does God want my money? <laughs> nope. He wants something more. He wants your heart. And because he wants your heart, he knows he wants to teach you where it should be at. Well, how do I know where it's at? It's very simple. What in your life do you find most valuable? What do you treasure? But he doesn't stop there. He keeps going into the next part, and he's still talking to this whole group, and he's letting this aspect of treasure and heart, and, it, and it's really cool because he first started about this aspect of, of giving to the needy, which is how we love people. He talked about prayer and fasting, and, and then he's talking about this treasure, which is a concept of generosity. And, and then he goes to this next step, and, it, and it's so good. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. 
So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is this darkness? Now, Miss Carrie Sauls has taught this lady's Bible study for the last several weeks with a lady that teaches the concept not out of like the New Testament based on our westernized thinking, but how some of these concepts in the New Testament and what they were talking about have some Jewish customs to it or Jewish meanings to it. And I've had the privilege to be in my office when they were teaching this class, and I would act like I was studying for the message, but the reality was I was really intrigued and wanted to hear what they were doing, but it was a women's Bible study, and I didn't have enough estrogen to be in the class. And so I'm sitting back in the back, and this lady started teaching about the aspect of what does it mean in Jewish custom to have a good eye? Because I grew up in athletics, right? And we remember the old chant, you know, good eye, good eye, good eye. Let that ball go by. Mm -hmm. You can see things well, right? That has nothing to do with it. What the aspect of a good eye is in Jewish custom and when the rabbis and the Pharisees and the scribes in the Middle Eastern area around Jerusalem, when they were talking about having a good eye, it was the aspect of generosity. They were able to see things for what they were worth. So they would see somebody's need and they would meet that need because they knew what their need was and they had a good eye to meet needs. It was the aspect of generosity. And if you look at the Jewish custom, it was even more than that because you had beggars and you had different people and that was an actual professional practice. And it was thought of that that they would exist and be there and it was your or our responsibility as people that followed God, because this is before Jesus died and the bell was torn and we had forgiveness through him, so I want to make sure that what? I take care of the needy and I help them with alms. That's where you get this amazing idea that comes by where Peter and John are walking and this guy comes and begs for alms and they say what? Alms and silver or whatever I do not have, but what I do have in the name of Jesus, I say get up and walk. And in that moment, everything changes. It's the catalyst of the New Testament. One of them. But it's the aspect of seeing. And so when he's talking about the eye is the lamp to the body, it's not just the way you're seeing things. It's the aspect of where is your heart and do you notice people that are in need more than you notice your own need? Can I say that again? Do you notice other people's need more than you notice your own need? And then having a good eye wasn't just that you noticed that need, but then are you willing to take the next step and actually try to meet that need? And so in this scripture, I love the way he puts it. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And he's starting to compare, and he's already talked about this aspect that we're the light of the world, we're the salt and the light. But here's what he's trying to get them to understand. I wish I could do this. I probably could get pretty close. But right now, we are looking around and we're seeing things and we're seeing things on the screen. And there's one thing that has to be present for you to be able to see. Light. Have you ever been in a cave that's pitch dark? I'm talking about pitch dark, like you hold your hand up and you're like, I, I can't see nothing. That's what he's trying to get them to understand. You are not going to be able to see what I need you to see 
if you don't have light in your life. Jesus says he is the light of the world. And here's what's crazy. No matter how dark a situation is, a little bit of light overpowers darkness every single time. It's amazing to me. But just like I did with the last one, I start thinking, you know what he's actually comparing to is he's comparing the eye to seeing. And so I, I, I did another translation. I said, you know what? I wonder what it would read if I turned around and put seeing rather than eye. And listen to how it reads. You'll see it on the scripture or you'll see it on the screen. The seeing is the lamp or the light of the body. So if your seeing is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your seeing is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness or absent of light. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? See, he, he sets all of this up because he's trying to get these Pharisees and these scribes to understand. What's your motivation? Do you treasure these people and you're meeting their need because that's where your heart is? Or are you meeting their need because you want to practice your righteousness in front of all men and let them know like, woohoo, look at me and get kudos from them? When you're looking at people, are you looking at them and seeing them for who they really are and being generous and meeting a need? Or are you looking at them for an opportunity to be the first one to notice so that everybody else will know that you noticed? Are you motivated by the possessions and the money that you're gaining from your position, or are you motivated by God in the way that you serve him by loving him and loving others? He's trying to get them to understand one simple question. Why do you do what you do when it comes to righteousness? Are you doing it because that's what God has called you to do? Or are you doing it because of something that you want to possess on this earth, whether it be money and possessions, that's a benefit to you because of the way you do things? And as he's explained that, then he gets to that verse that we started with at the very beginning, which is verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. See, the misunderstanding is that people will use that as if possessions and money is bad. And that's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about in that particular scripture, talking to this multitude, is what's the treasure? What are you most motivated by? What, what is the practices that you have in your life and the way they apply to your life? Do you leverage meeting people's needs and prayer life and fasting and, and helping people that, that may need something in your generosity? Do you leverage that for something that you want to personally gain? I, I, I want to say this very, very carefully. People that talk about tithing from the standpoint of, man, I, I give to God because he always gives me more. That's not a motivation to give. That's him meeting his promise to your obedience. 
but God is not an Edward Jones investor. My motivation is not that, wow, Lord, I'm going to give you this because you're going to give it back to me and more. I do it because I want to practice righteousness, and it's something that he's called me to do. And I do it in private because I want my reward to be in heaven, not on this earth. But he keeps his promise. And to be honest with you, that's just a benefit of obedience. That doesn't mean I do it for that reason. It just lets me know that I can trust him, that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. So it helps me to know that I can do what he's called me to do. It's the way that I see things. Now, the irony is he, he turns around and closes out this chapter after talking about this aspect of money and what motivates you and possessions and, and you can't serve God and serve money, like you can't see things correctly if your treasure's in the wrong place is what he's basically saying. And the very next scripture, you're not gonna see it on the screen, I'm just gonna kind of introduce it. He says, and do not be anxious about nothing, about what you should drink or what you should eat or what you should wear. And he starts talking about the lilies of the field and the birds of the air. And, and at the end, he says, your father knows that you need these things. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and I will add all these other things to you. That's not, see there, if, if, if you make sure you handle your money right, then God's going to give you everything you need. <laughs> That's not what this is saying. Because God's not after your money. What this is saying is God wants you to be righteous. And he knows in order to be righteous, you've got to practice earthly things. And to practice earthly things and to understand them will allow you to start having a better heavenly perspective. See, it's the whole concept of this series, Misunderstood. How can we understand heavenly things when we can't understand earthly things? And that's what he's trying to get them to understand. So can I go back to those three questions? Very simply, is money bad? Nope. If I have money and possessions, is it wrong? No again. How much is too much when the much gets your heart. You've got to ask yourself one simple question. What do I treasure? You say, Mickey, why do you want to talk about this? Well, number one, that's the wrong question. I didn't want to talk about this. You say, Mickey, why did you talk about this? Because I love you. And Jesus talked about it so that we would be able to talk about it. I don't love you because I want something out of you. I don't love you because I'm challenging you to do something. Like I want you to, to wrestle through this and ask yourself, okay, Lord, what do I really treasure? What am I really finding value in? What am I really doing? How am I practicing my righteousness? Am I practicing it before man? Or am I doing it in private? Or am I not doing it at all? See, I, I wrote down some stuff, and I, I got very intentional 
because I wanted to make sure that I didn't say something that was Mickey. But here's what I wrote down. God wants your heart. He has made us righteous through Jesus Christ. We have a sin issue that is called separation. But through his death and resurrection and through us accepting him, we have been made right. But we still have this struggle of constantly pursuing him and trying to understand what it means to love him and become righteous. But it's not something we do in this public display, like this public arena, like, woohoo, look at us. But it is something that he's called you to do. And the reason why, here's what I want you to catch, the reason why he's given you earthly commandments to practice your righteousness is because he knows that if you don't practice it, you won't treasure it. And if you don't treasure it, then he won't have your heart. In fact, I'll, I'll give you three areas that I believe God is after on this earth. Three areas of your life that I will use the word tithe. Now, I'm not talking about tithe like 10% of financial giving, which is what we believe is the biblical concept that God has called us to, to give to the church. I'm talking about tithe as this, there's a part that you should be, be freely giving back to God out of obedience. And I believe it's in three areas. It's in your time, it's in your talent, and it's in your treasure. If you're encouraged by today's podcast and would like to hear more messages, visit us at crossroadscommunitychurch.com.